So yeah, kids, kids are with us today. So welcome Camp Redstone kiddos. We, glad, we are glad that you guys are here. Um, let me pray for us as we get our hearts and our minds ready to jump into uh, the Word of God. I will say this before we jump into prayer. Um, last week was heavy. So if you weren't here last week, um, we just encourage you to go back and listen to what I call the preface of this, this study that we're stepping into. It was a little bit more, I said heavy, but it was a little bit more personal and a little bit more of a kind of reflection on what we've sensed over the past couple of years we're seeing and then what we're sensing uh, moving forward. So I don't know what happened, but it struck a chord because I've had more people talking to me, texting me, calling me, meeting with me to talk about some of the things that came out of that message than any other since I've actually been here. So anyway, just to try to get us all on the same page, it would be good to go back and listen to that. So let me pray for us. Lord, I thank you for just this body. I thank you for the grace of life. I thank you for these little things that we take for granted like breath and eyesight and hearing and laughter. Lord, I thank you for the good times and the bad times. Lord, I thank you for um, just all that you do for us. Lord, may we have hearts that are truly thankful. And Lord, I pray this morning that you would open up um, this word, your word, but also this topic, that it would start making sense to us and that we would start understanding uh, some of these strategies that we see in the book of Luke. Uh, Lord, as always, when I get up here or Sam gets up here or Mike or whomever, you know, Adam on a Sunday morning, we speak a lot of words. Lord, may what is of us, Lord, just quickly fall to the ground and be forgotten. But those, those truths that are coming from you and the eternal word that is spoken, may it sink into our hearts and truly challenge us and change us as you continue to mold us and conform us into the image of your son, Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. Okay, so our new series that we're stepping into, and we're going to be in this series all spring. We call this spring. It doesn't feel like spring, but this is the spring semester, if you will. This is the realia of food and drink. The realia. And I gave the definition last year, last year, last week, of realia. Realia are objects and materials from everyday life that are used as teaching aids. So real-life objects that enable us to make conversations and bring conversations and understanding of what these truths and ideas truly are. So that's what we're looking at with food and drink as a realia, as a teaching tool for some other deeper eternal truth. So this series is going to show how food and drink have always been instrumental in teaching truths by the Lord, making himself known, the way that he connected with other people and so forth. And hopefully along the way, we're going to learn from him, and not just learn from him, but we're going to step out in faith individually, collectively as a church, but also from family unit to family unit, and take these steps of faith and see if we can't employ some of these same strategies. So last week, our passage, well, we had two, but this was, this was the one that's just in my heart. I've been praying this one over and over and over. This is Jesus saying to the other disciples, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Jesus was filled with and satisfied with something other than and greater than food itself. Let me show you something that's better than a meal. He's saying my food 
is obedience to the Father. It's doing His will. It's completing that which He has called me to do. And likewise, when we truly feed on Christ, when we truly feed on the bread of life, doing His will and finishing the work that He has called us to, that thing satisfies us more than any other thing possibly could. Our sustenance, we talked about, our nourishment, and our energy come from following Jesus, the bread of life, and doing his will. And we talked about, I'm still in preface mode, recapping last week, but we talked about the difference between gospel-believing and gospel-centric, or being a gospel-centered church. Um, different ways that, you know, everybody is a gospel-believing church, but a gospel-centered church, there's a, deeper, there's a deeper understanding of how you live that out on a moment-by-moment basis too much for this morning, but go back and listen to that. And then we briefly talked about simple church and how we're striving for simple church. And we haven't done a great job of explaining what that is, but basically simple church, our goal is, our hope is, our desire is, our vision is, and our prayer is that everyone who's attending Redstone Church Elizabeth would understand that Jesus is the bread of life, that he's the only one that sustains us. He's the only thing that we need um, Psalm 73, 25 is my life verse. Whom do I have in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. So that thing that I long for, that thing that you should long for, is Christ. We can't make men's group, women's group, community group, Redstone Elizabethan, or anything else an idol that we're hoping is going to satisfy because all of those things will disappoint and let you down, and the elders are going to let you down as well. But if we're feeding on Christ then we're going to have the fruits of the Spirit that you see in Galatians. We're abiding in Him, and He will flow from us. And if that's not happening, we can't blame it on other people or other situations, our spouse, our job, our elders, our community group, or anything else. So that was pretty, it was heavy, if you will. So, But that was all a preface. And today I hope to... There's going to be all these little puns along the way because they're just natural. I'm going to set the table by way of introduction to this series. And doing so, are you ready for this? I want to whet your appetite by giving you a few nuggets, just count them as we go along, to chew on, in which I hope that you'll take the time to truly digest. You see what I did there? But in all seriousness... What we're fighting for and we will be presenting from Luke is that a minimum of three things will take place through this series. One, hopefully it'll push us into a deeper relationship with Jesus himself. Secondly, that we will be reminded that our food must be to follow him and be on gospel mission or on kingdom mission, doing the work that he's prepared in advance, Ephesians says, for us to do. And the third one is... I think that it will push us into a deeper relationship with one another as well. So, unfold your napkin, place it on your lap, ready your utensils, and let's dig in. I think that was about eight that I've used thus far, and whoever can count them throughout. Now, let's not do that, because then you won't listen to a word that I have to say. So, just ignore my puns, if you will. Okay, so it should be noted that if you look at our logo, if you look on your worship guide or on our website, you see a table. We had another table that had four legs that looked a little bit weird, so we changed it. But this is a table, and I didn't, I'm not going to bring it up again, but even our discipleship model is a table. It's the gospel on top, and then you've got these four legs. You've got worship, you've got community, you've got service, and you've got multiplication. And we say that this is Christianity. 
It's not a progression that, uh, man, one of these days maybe I can make it to level three, you know, and be serving. No, 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 no. If you understand the gospel, you have to be a worshiper, and there's all these components that go along with worship. And he doesn't want you to do that on an island by yourself. He desires that you would be in community with other people and that you use these gifts that he's given you to serve his kingdom and ultimately that we will be going and that we will be multiplying. So a table is a big deal to us, and part of the culture that we were striving for at Redstone Johnson City early on was that we would be a true gospel community, that there would be authenticity, that there would be transparency to know others and to be known. And we saw early on that food and drink can be a primary catalyst for seeing that take place. So the word companion, I should have put this up here and I didn't, but the word companion comes from two Latin words, cum, which means with or together, and panis, which means bread. So think about Panera. You know, Panera is referring to bread over a meal. So where you see cum panis coming together, what you're doing is you're creating cum panises or companions. That's where the word companion comes from. And these companions will return to one another frequently because they grow to truly love each other and to appreciate each other and to care for one another. As author Carolyn Steele stated, someone with whom we share food is likely to be our friend or well on the one to becoming one. So this was a concept and a goal for us early on. We refer to this little book. It's a real book. You can go on Amazon. I think it's $1.99, and it's called Refrigerator Rights. Refrigerator Rights has this concept of um, knowing people and knowing that you've arrived when you get to the point that you can be in someone's home and you don't feel weird opening up the refrigerator to see what they have. Have you ever done that? So my friend Stephen Blackburn, when I go to his house, it's just a common thing. I always go see if he's got any leftover pizza, and he always does, and he knows I'm going to go find it, and he's like, Jerry will be here later, he'll eat, eat our pizza, and it's amazing, and I was laughing because I was like, Adam McCain probably at my house knows where things are better than I do, and that's a good thing. When you get to the place where you're like, can you just take care of it, and they're like, yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll take care of it, and they go set everything up, then you know that you've got a true companion uh, that is there. We had this church-wide, some of y'all remember this, that were Redstone Johnson City, but we had this church-wide a Christmas gathering in our basement at our home our first year that Redstone Johnson City was was there and it was crazy which is actually Kathleen and Jesse's um, house now because they bought my house so that whole basement was filled with the whole church and as a complete side note not in my in my notes but we said we wanted you to dress up for this party and one of the guys actually came up dressed like, like an elf and everybody else had on like you know sweaters and dresses and stuff and he was like oh I thought you meant dress up but anyway that's a, that's a side note. And I was like, what are you doing, Micah? He's like, I'm an elf. I'm like, yes, you are. Come on in. But boy, are you going to be shocked when you get downstairs. So, but we were downstairs, and one of the guys, he was on my leadership team in Johnson City, and I had a picture of him, and he was going through the toy box to find out what kind of toys that we have, you know, for our kids to play with. And I'm like, you're a true companion, because you wouldn't have done that unless you felt really comfortable around these people. So this isn't a new concept, something that Redstone uh, came up with. We see food and drink all throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament as well, and there's just tons and tons of passages that we're going to look at, specifically from the book of Luke. And we know that this is true, that companions are made through our own experiences 
as well, don't we? I mean, think about your life. You know, food and drink unite people. They grow us closer together. They break down walls. They drive, uh, or they provide a, a catalyst for real and sometimes deep conversations to take place. So here's a question for you. Have you ever been to a party or a gathering, a feast, that there was good food, that there was lots of laughter, that there were stories being told and heard, maybe even a few games, and at the end of that evening, you just didn't want to go home. Have you had that happen? I hope you have. If you haven't, you need to. Because it's just a beautiful, beautiful thing. I was thinking about, like, in my own life. I'm like, when Kyler and Evan, they're on their pre-baby Martha Washington in expedition, so they're not here with us this morning. But when they were married, that wedding, we just didn't want to go home. Probably because we knew that the bills were going to be sent to our home, and we didn't want to see that. But I remember one night, and I could, you know, insert different restaurants, but I remember one night being at IHOP with just our family. It was just our kids. And I honestly and truly thought that they were going to kick us out because we were laughing so much. You know, and it's like nobody wanted to go home. It was just so good. It was so, so much fun. Various Thanksgiving meals that we've experienced. Um, when I was ordained, we had, a, um, I don't know, a celebration at Barbaritos in Johnson City. We basically just took over Barbaritos, and we were out in the parking lot. We were playing cornhole games, singing. It was just amazing. And I remember one time we used this... Um, this phrase of big table in community groups. Big tables when you have food and you have drinks and you have games. I remember one time we were at the Triggs and um, we were having a big table event. And it was so much fun. And two of our kids, our youngest daughters, were in the car. And the quote was, that was so much fun. I could have stayed there all night. I wish we didn't have to go home. And I'm like, that's what we're going for. Because when you can experience that, you're getting a taste of what Jesus has for us. Or, think about your own experiences, have you sat across a table from someone over food and drink, and you've literally taken that moment to pour out your heart, to share your real fears, your real anxieties? Maybe you've confessed your sins, or you've heard them confess their sins in a way that hadn't, you know, maybe even been done before. Shared things that you had told very few other people. I can think of a few instances in my life, actually I can think of several, that that's happened with other people toward me, and multiple times it's happened with me toward other people. But the key element was always there, there was always food and drink. Or think about the number of major marital or family decisions or discussions that have taken place around the kitchen table after a meal, following a meal. Most of us have. A few years back, when we first started, we introduced this video series, and it was called The Gospel Boldness Project. Some of you are too new. You haven't gone through that. Maybe one of these days you can go back through it. But one of the initiatives that was in that study, this video series, was to encourage people to, in faith, be willing to go out and get to know people that you don't know. To be, as the, the phrase that I used with my family years ago, to, we began to pray that God would make us uncomfortable for the gospel's sake, that we would be willing to step into conversations with people that are not like us. And I remember saying, okay, I'm going to start doing that. And I tried to develop some strategies on how to do it. And it was really awkward and really weird at first. And those people that, in which I did that with are still my dear friends today. There was just something beautiful about stepping out in faith 
and going and getting to know someone. And we did that just by asking to hear their stories. And everyone that exists in this room today, you're alive, so let's start there, but you also have a story. Some of these stories are hard. Some of y'all have been through some real stuff. Some of you have some amazing dreams and aspirations. Some of you have had your hearts broken. Some of you are experiencing real pain. And the thing is, we are so busy, we do not take the time to sit down across from someone without looking at our watch or our, our phone and just say, you know what? I want to hear your story. I just want to hear your story. And just listen and just see where that trail takes you and just watch the Spirit of God use that conversation to open up this true companionship that maybe did not exist before, and maybe he will do even greater things than that. That's what this topic of the realia of food and drink is all about. Today is introduction, okay? Today is introduction, and golly, in the first year, I think every other week, I was using PowerPoint with bookends. I had bookends, the whole time. And I haven't done that in a while, but there's two bookends. I'm not putting it up on the PowerPoint necessarily as bookends, but these are two passages that we're going to look at. We're going to look at four all together, two in Luke, but these are your two um, bookend passages. The first one is actually in Exodus. This little bit of a strange passage. Look at this. Exodus 24, 9 through 12, before the law was given, then Moses and Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel went up. They saw the God of Israel there was under his feet, as it were, a pavement of sapphire stone like um, the very heaven of, of clearness. Now, quick pause there. You know, when you see that they saw the face of God, we see other places that you can't see the face of God and live. So we're assuming that this is what's called a theophany. It's a visible manifestation of a pre-incarnate Christ. Okay, but that's a deeper discussion for another day. So don't get hung up on that. Verse number 11, And he did not lay his hand on the chief men of the people of Israel. They beheld God and they ate and drank. The Lord said to Moses, come up to me on the table, wait there, that I may give you the tablets of stone, which the law um, and the commandment, which I have written for their instruction. So before the law of God is given, they're before the Lord, and there's this pause, let's just eat and drink together. This is a solemn moment. This is this covenant relationship that I have with you, and you'll see all throughout Scripture that the Lord seals that with food and drink. Interesting. I had never noticed that until last year when we were going through community Bible reading and we were reading through Exodus. And I was like, what is this? I was like, can we, you know, can we talk about this? And we began to have several conversations with other people. But it's not just there. We even see at the beginning, Adam and Eve, you know, they're in the garden and there was fruit. You know, there was forbidden fruit. Um, there was this forbidden fruit that was eaten that began the, the pandemic of, of sin itself. You know, Moses was told to go into this land that he was to take his people to, and it was described by the Lord as flowing with milk and honey, another food reference. But now let's look at Revelation. Let's go to the end of the Bible and look at our other bookend. Revelation 19, 6 through 9, then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude like the roar of many waters, like the sound of mighty peals of thunder crying out, hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give the glory, or give him the glory for the marriage of the Lamb has come and the bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper, supper of the Lamb. In the end... 
at the culmination of all things, once we have entered into what Hebrews calls, calls this Sabbath rest, there will be a feast, a meal, a supper, a marriage supper of the Lamb, and it will be amazing. I'm sure the food will be amazing. I bet it will contain stories. I had on here tears, and I had to go back and erase that this morning as I was reviewing my notes. There's no tears in heaven, but there's going to be laughter, and there's going to be singing, and it will unite those. It will create eternal companions, companions that will spend eternity together. So we begin at the beginning of the Bible, and we see this, this feast that's taken place before the law is even given, and then we go to the end of the Bible, and we see this marriage supper, supper of the Lamb, a feast, dining with the one who fulfilled all of the righteous requirements that came from the law that was given through Moses, who adopted us into his family, who has invited us into his kitchen. Those are our bookends as we walk through this study. But we said that we were also going to look through the book of Luke. That's primarily where we're going to get our realia from. So we will spend a little bit of time this morning looking at a couple of passages in Luke. But first, this. This amazing little book, I bought it for all of the staff for Christmas. It's, it's by Tim Chester, and the name of it is A Meal with Jesus. Tim Chester points out that there's three times in the New Testament that this phrase is used. Okay, let me read it to you. It says, the Son of Man came blank. The Son of Man came, and then you fill in that blank with other words. Here's the three times that it's stated. The first one, I'm calling this our posture. This is in the worship guide. I left very few places in the worship guide for you to make notes, but this is one. So this is your posture. Look at it. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So I believe this, this speaks of the Lord's posture. Go to Philippians 2, and you can see this amazing passage that talks about the humility of the Lord. So there's posture. The second time that this phrase is used I'm calling this the mission. The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. To seek and to save the lost, which clearly speaks of the Lord's mission. This is why he came. And then here's the third one. Look at this. Look at his strategy or one of his methods. It's not his only method and it's not his only strategy, but look at it. The Son of Man came. You see it at the end? John the Baptist has come eating, and, you know, eating no bread and drinking no wine, and you say he has a demon. But the Son of Man has come eating and drinking. The Son of Man has come eating and drinking, which I think speaks of his strategies. And we'll look at plenty of them, but here's a good example. In Luke 15, 1 through 2, the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him, and the Pharisees and the scribes, the scribes they grumbled. These religious leaders of the day, they were, they were grumbling. They were like, this man receives sinners, and he eats with them. And Jesus would say, yes, that's exactly what I do. I'm going to humble myself. I'm going to be on mission. But one of the strategies for me making myself known, making the Father known, making the Word of God known, is to sit down with people around a table over a meal 
and he does it over and over and over. I thought that was interesting. So when I look at that and I think about just those three, posture and mission and strategy, you got to have all three of them. If you're just on mission and maybe you got a great strategy, but you're walking around haughty and prideful, the Lord's not going to bless that. We should be the most humble people on the earth. We should be. And we need to pray that for one another. We need to pray that we will be clothed with humility because only when we are clothed with humility are people going to, to see and sense that we're not like looking down on them. We understand their humanity. We understand their brokenness. There's no sin that they have committed, are committing, that would be so appalling to us that we can't associate with them. I'm not talking about people in the church because there are instances in the church where it says have nothing to do with the immoral brother you need to step away from them until they repent but i'm talking about people that don't even know the truth right we ought to be able to be like i get it you're looking for happiness you're looking for identity you're looking for love you're looking for all these things that can only be found in the gospel so i'm not surprised that you've gone down this road to look for these things we ought to be humble enough to be able to sit down in front of them without them feeling like they're just looking down on me so humility is critical. But the second one of mission is critical too. This is why we exist. Scripture says that we are his ambassadors as though he's making his appeal through us. He could have taken us into heaven once he saved us. He did not. He left us here to represent him and to be on mission of making him known to others. But then strategies is the one that I see for the most part. This is a generalization. I'm not trying to pick on anybody in particular. This is all of us. But oftentimes, we may humble ourselves, we may understand our mission, but we don't really have strategies for going about it. A broken clock is right twice a day, right? So sometimes you accidentally do something good that furthers the kingdom of God. But how about people that have strategies for doing that? How about people that are looking at their week and that are scheduling time to be with different types of people? I need to be poured into, I need to be discipling this person, you know, but there's these other people over here that I just, I've, I've got a burden for them. Here's three of them, and I'm going to pray for them every day, but I'm going to go find time to spend with them, and I'm going to block it into my schedule, and I want to see what the Lord does with that. And this is going to include a meal, or this is going to include whatever. Just any kind of strategy, I don't think that we've done a good job of coming up with strategies. The good thing is that in the book of Luke, we're going to see, you know, 15 different times that the Lord does this, and we're going to get some strategies that we will be able to put into our back pocket. Having a strategy, moving forward, being on mission. Um, I got a text from uh, my pastor friend, Jeff Martin, this morning over at Redeemer in Johnson City. And he said, man, I'm just compelled this morning to share the Piper story about seashells. And he said, so I went back and I watched this video of John Piper talking about what it means to be on kingdom or on gospel mission and jeff martin said i cried when i listened to it i inserted that in here this morning because i thought how many of us have not heard piper talk about seashells if you haven't make a note go do that sometime this week it's not very long but you talk about pouring cold water on our heads to remind us to be on kingdom mission or gospel mission that sermon or that story that he presented to college students years ago, it'll do it as well as anything else. Okay, so back to the strategy of the realia of food and drink. For all of the reasons that we've discussed, eating and drinking with other people, we feel is 
And scripture, I think, shows is one of the best ways to engage people and to break down walls and to get to know them. I walk, and I refer to that a lot. Plenty of you all have gone walking with me. We're going to get together. It's like, okay, just wear your walking shoes and we'll go walk. So we'll go for an hour-long walk or an hour-and-a-half-long walk. And I was talking to Adam Stein a couple weeks ago. We were walking, and I was like, you know why I walk? with people instead of just sitting across you know, the table you know, with them. Because it's, it's a similar thing, but it's a strategy. Because when you're walking with someone, you're both facing obstacles together. There's not like this table in front of you that's separating you, so it doesn't feel like a counseling session. Um, and you just walk, and there's a mud puddle here, or which way should we go? Or there's a car coming. We're, you know, we're doing this together. We're making these decisions together. And I've noticed that when I walk with people, the realness meter goes up a little bit higher honesty is there a little bit sooner in ways that it takes a little bit longer if I'm sitting across a desk from someone. So I think it's a similar strategy. Jesus did that as well. They walked everywhere. But just having a meal with someone does the same thing. You know, you're sharing life together, and those experiences will, um, will change us. They'll change us. So I've seen this outside of the church with people, but also within this church. You know, I, just the number of times that I've sat down with you all, different people, over a coffee or over a meal, and here's what I end up hearing. A part of your story. A part of a hard marriage. There should have been divorce. There wasn't, but there could have been. There should have been. Or loss. Or depression. Or whatever. And there's something about those moments that when I leave, when I see you here, and I'm seeing some of you right now, and I'm thinking about some of these stories, it just changes the way I look at you. I don't see you the same way. I see you just like me as being a human being that's broken, that does not have it all together, that is in dire need of Jesus and his gospel and his grace and his mercy, but also in dire need of companionship as well. Having food and drink with people or a meal with people will change the way that you look at them forever and ever. First John reminds us that this, if we, if, let me back up. First John reminds us that if we claim to live in him, that we must, quote unquote, walk as Jesus did. And I would suggest that we're walking as Jesus did when our posture is that of humility, when our mission is to make him known, but also when our strategy is sharing meals with people. So here's what I'm going to do. As we get ready to close out our message this morning, I'm going to give you a taste. There's another one. Pardon the pun once again. Of some of what we're going to see in the book of Luke. Just listen to these. I'm going to go through these pretty quickly. Luke chapter 5, we'll see Jesus eating with tax collectors and sinners. Luke chapter 7, we're going to see Jesus anointed at the home of Simon over a meal. Luke 9, we're going to see Jesus teach a lesson as he miraculously feeds 5,000 people. He won't send them home. He has compassion on them. Luke 10, we're going to see Jesus having a meal with Mary and Martha. One of those two is engaged with Jesus sitting at his feet listening, and the other one is too concerned about the house. Luke number 11, we're going to see Jesus rebuke rebuke the Pharisees pretty strongly over a meal. Luke 14, we're going to hear Jesus urge us to invite the poor and the downcast into our homes. Don't invite your friends. Don't invite your family members. Go invite people that would make you a little uncomfortable. That's going to be a lot of fun. Luke 19, 
Jesus literally invites himself into the home of Zacchaeus. You come down, I'm going to your house for a meal today. Everybody know the song? We could probably sing the song. Zacchaeus was a week. Okay. Um, Zacchaeus, at that same meal, he invited all of his unsaved friends to come and partake because Jesus was coming into his home. Luke 22, we're going to see Jesus eating with his disciples at the Last Supper. Luke 24, we're going to see Jesus reveal himself to two men over a meal after he's resurrected, after he's walked with them, walked with them, and talked with them on the road to Emmaus. Luke 24, we're going to see Jesus having breakfast with the disciples after he has risen from the dead. There's about six more that I didn't even list on here. Robert Karras says this, in Luke's gospel, Jesus is either going to a mill, at a mill, or coming from a mill. So this semi-expository approach to Luke is us taking, not all, because there's a lot more, it would have taken us through the fall, but taking a lot of those instances and saying, okay, Lord, this is what you did. What can we learn from this, and how can we do likewise? The elder, the wise elder who had a bad night last night, Sam Adams, noted that food is used throughout Scripture to seal covenants and to seal relationships, which gives even more anticipation for the marriage supper of the Lamb and reminds us of why we take communion regularly here at the church. So yeah, we're going to discover in this series that God indeed reveals a part of himself over meals. God loves his children over meals, and truths about God and his kingdom are often revealed over meals. And if we'll take that, if we'll digest that, sorry, I didn't mean to put that one in there, but if we'll take these things in, it's hard not to, isn't it, when you're talking about, you know, how do you, well, anyway. So, but just, it's hard not to, uh, to do that because we do want inge- to digest it. We want it to go in and then we want it to ch- come out of us and the way that we're dealing with other people because we want to be a body that is on gospel mission and on kingdom mission that we begin to invite people into our homes just as Jesus did, no matter how we do it, We all have different strategies. We will find, we will learn if we step out in faith that meals will provide opportunities to reveal more of ourselves to people as well. For us to learn more about them and they'll provide opportunities for us to love people tangibly and then ultimately to present our loving and gracious God and his glorious gospel to them. Pastor David Camara says this, a little bit of a long paragraph, but, but hear it if you will. Christians have always enjoyed sharing a meal because of the rich biblical symbolism, because it's a tangible expression of service, love, and unity, and because of the opportunity it affords for true fellowship and genuine community. Practically, sharing a meal nourishes our need to, to know and to be known because it facilitates face-to-face conversation. In our digitally connected world, we share a tremendous amount of information through texts, emails, and tweets. However, because a significant amount of communication is nonverbal, precious little communication actually occurs digitally. Seeing someone's facial expression, 
hearing the tone of his or her voice and looking into his or her eyes are vital elements of real communication. Ideally, sharing a meal would put us face-to-face with real people. That's why COVID was so hard. He's suggesting no phones, no computer, just face-to-face dialogue, real conversations, real stories, real laughter, real confessions, real tears, real dreams, real ideas shared over a meal or a coffee or whatever. I would suggest, here's one more, that people are starving for that kind of connectivity with people. They're starving for it. They're hungry for it. They're longing for it. And if the church is not willing to humble herself and to sit down in front of those people, then who will? Somebody will, and they're going to give them a message, and they're going to give them a false hope, but it's not going to be the gospel. This is what the Lord has called us to. Just the power of food and drink and sitting down and talking with people. It's incredible. It's incredible. So I include with or conclude with three simple questions for all of us to consider, and then I'll pray. What's your posture? I hope that it's of humility, and if not, we need to pray that the Lord would clothe us with humility. What's your mission? Are you living your life on gospel mission, on kingdom mission? Or are you just trying to survive another day and survive another week? It makes all the difference in the world. Sometimes I find myself in survival mode. It's been a hard year. I confessed all of that last year. You know, and I hate that. I don't want that. I want to be on mission. And then thirdly, do you have strategies for being on kingdom mission and being on gospel mission? You got to eat and drink anyway, right? Why not make it a strategy to do that? with other people around the table. The goal is that in doing this, that we will taste and see that the Lord is is good and that his strategies for revealing himself and truth, developing companionship with other people, that they are good too. So I'm going to pray. just going to sit in this for a moment. We're going to sing a few songs, but just sit in this, this topic, the realia of food and drink, And ask, consider your heart's posture, whether you're on mission and whether you have any strategies. Just talk to Jesus about that. We're not going to be passing the mic because once we're done, we're going to go next door and we're going to sit around tables and we're going to have barbecue and I don't even know what else and we can have those conversations then. So let's pray together. Lord, I thank you. Lord, I thank you for... Just your word. Lord, I thank you for your example. I think this is going to be a really good series, Lord, because I've never heard this series, and I don't think anyone else ever has, and it's forcing us to go through the book of Luke and maybe see things that we hadn't seen before. But Lord, if we take it beyond that, and if we step out in faith and begin to employ some of these things and try them out, I think you're going to be right there in our midst. And I'm excited about that. Lord, speak to us. I'll be still for a moment. What's our posture? What's our mission? What's our strategy? Lord, hear our conversation with you as we wrestle with those questions. In Christ's name.
Just be still for a moment, and then Brandon will get us started into worship. <laughs> 